Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. everybody and welcome to episode 154 of the common knowledge podcast i'm your host christian and i'm joined by our co-host adam as well as a very special guest from roll please or returning co-host brad hello everybody Ooh. it's good to be back how are you guys doing i've been trying to keep the seat warm <laughs> <laughs> no it is firmly your yeah. seat now yeah so before we got too far in this episode want to remind everyone that common knowledge and all of the podcasts on the constructive criticism network are sponsored by puremtgo.com if you'd like to support the show make sure to like share and subscribe to the constructive criticism youtube channel check out the common knowledge patreon um with that out of the way let's get on with the podcast for this week Woo-hoo. i can't let you do that yet because there's something i gotta bring to your attention so you know how so you know like some of the most timeless entertainment experiences we have in our lives right now or, well, some of the most timeless entertaining entertainment experiences we've had in our lives to this point are like your classic board games, your Battleship, your, uh, uh, I had more of these, like D&D even, uh, fourth edition up. And what do these games have in common? I don't know. Most of your movements based on a really simple grid system. So maybe you need to check out our sponsor, and get your entertaining experience at GameGrid's system, GameGridLehigh.com. Use our promo code CKMTG, get 10% off your order, and it lets them know we sent you. So it's, it works out well for everybody. Yeah, Solid. absolutely. Um, I just placed an order with GameGrid myself for um, some sweet uh, soon-to-be popper staples. Yeah, um, some 2XM. You got you got old frames, didn't gotta you? Gotta get the old yeah, frames. Yeah, don't don't tell me that. But I might have uh, gotten a second uh, playset of Monastery Swiss beers, not to bury the lead or anything. No, no, no. It's so hasty; it just comes up whenever it wants. <laughs> it just has, yeah. Yep. It's the, always the first thing. Yep. It always hits first. Right. Before we get into the main topic of the show, which is 2X Masters uh, top five list, we should go ahead and get into what decks we've been playing. Um, Brad, do you want to go ahead and lead us off since you're the guest? Ah, yeah, I can surely do that. Not to be, not to um, lie, I guess. I haven't played a whole lot of 60 card popper lately. I'm still brewing decks. I've played at the shop a couple times here and there. Uh, I had some spell table games with some some folks on Twitter, and those were all good. But honestly, my focus has been Popper Commander for the last few months or so. I've been kind of a- around the format for like the last, I don't know, 16 or 18 months. But I've been kind of really honed in on it the last like four, five, six months. 
And it's sort of like absorbed my entire soul. It's sort of everything that I've become as far as magic is concerned. So I've been playing a lot of that. I stream it every Saturday night, uh, brewing a lot of decks, talking to a lot of people, started my own show, you know, my own podcast about it, all that good stuff. So I think it would be two whole episodes to talk about just the decks I've been playing and building <laughs> in that format. So we don't have to get into that. What about you? I know I see you guys posted on Twitter about challenges and leagues and brewing and decks and this and that. What have you guys been playing? I guess I get to go first. Huh? <laughs> so after the message I got the other day, uh, I had to go back and revisit my land grant blue tempo pile and try to work on that. It's still very much a work in progress, but I want to get it to a point where it's a list I feel comfortable sharing with people because I don't want to give them something that's not going to do well. I saw that you were talking to people on uh, Twitter about that. I forget the uh, user. But I don't know, it's always an incredibly cool feeling whenever somebody reaches out on Twitter like, hey, I was listening to your show. Yeah. Tell me about this thing you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm really excited about it. Like, what? Right. It's like, um, I had that happen to me. We talked about a long time ago, just like offhandedly blue-white fairies on the show. And like, I was like feeling pretty down about magic. And then I checked our emails and we had gotten an email for somebody asking about blue-white fairies and whether or not we could do an episode on it. Yeah, I remember that. And so, yeah, and so we ended up having to like, like it reinvigorated me to work on Blue White Fairies, and then we uh, talked about it on the show. As for this past week, um, what I've been doing in Popper, I've been seeing that Mono Blue has had some success and challenges. No offense to you, Adam. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always kind of yeah. confused when Mono Blue takes down stuff. Like, sure, <laughs> it, it's it's a deck. It's got good cards in it, but... Maybe it's just like the um, mono blue spirits of Popper. Like, no one really knows how it works. It just wins, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, uh, again, like, I've played it enough. Like, I understand the game plan. I understand, like, why it could do well. Sure. What's surprising to me is I saw the exact same list, the exact same pilot do well in two challenges in the row. Yep. Um, top eight, both challenges. And so that was kind of like, I wonder what it is about this specific deck list and how this person was playing it, right? They took down the last of, like, challenge, right? Success. Yeah, yeah, they did. You mean to tell me? You mean to tell me? Magic's about being consistently good at something instead of just getting really lucky once. Surprise! Yeah, yeah, yeah weird. <laughs> what? This is news mm -hmm. to me. So I have a a local friend that's been getting into popper for months now, um, and we found some time to uh, get together, and they were sort of playing mono blue, and I was playing just against with the plethora of decks um, that I had available to me. And every time we would sort of talk about what their approach was. And, you know, we kind of have been doing this really interesting playtesting thing. I think a lot of people do it where, like, we will pretty much play with open information from, like, turn three on. And sometimes at turn one, where, like, we'll play with, like, some hidden information, some open information. So what I mean by that, right, is, like, you know, whenever they're making a hard decision, say, on, like, turn three. They're like, I think this like play that I make on turn three could dictate the rest of the game. So they'll reveal their hand to me, and we'll sort of talk about like what they should be considering with their hand. Yeah. And maybe I'll reveal my hand to them and go, well, this is something that like you hadn't considered, and it is relevant right now. Um, so we got tons out of it, I feel like, um, especially playing um, Teamer versus Mono Blue a bunch, right? Like we kind of figured out the pocket that that deck needs to be in to beat that deck. Right. And then... You know, the one thing that was sort of confusing to me, I think, is how Mono Blue was beating the other 
blue packages. You know, obviously Spire Golem is a house in that matchup because it dodges Lightning Bolt and, you know, it contends with and eats a lot of the fairies and ninjas from blue-black if they're playing like seven or eight ninjas. Right. So I understand why it could have some game just to consistently beat it kind of seemed weird to me, but after we played it a little bit more, I think we figured out, you know, some of what the strategy might have been going into those challenges. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking of putting what we've learned into practice this upcoming weekend Ooh. to uh, see if we were on to something or if maybe we should uh, find a way to talk to the person on MTGO. Yeah, maybe even a little bit of both. I always like trying to talk to the pilots. We can do we- two things. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now that we've kind of talked about what decks we've been playing, I guess we can get on with the uh, main topic for the week. Which again, is just each person's top five cards from a Double Masters 2022. Yeah, the super huge fancy reprint set. Normally, we would um, start with everybody's number five and work our way up. But Adam, as you've always already mentioned in this show, um, Swiss Spear always hits now, don't let me take the, Don't let me take the credit for it. Brad <laughs> said it first. Oh. Oh, right, well... <laughs> Swiss Beer does always hit first, um, and so we're going to start at number one, because I don't think it's to anybody's surprise. Pretty sure we all had Monastery sure. Swiss Beer at number one. Yeah, I'd be surprised if we didn't. Yeah, I'd be disappointed yeah. if we didn't. Yeah, just in case you guys don't know what Monastery Swiss Beer does, you should feel ashamed if you do, but just in case, it costs one red for a human monk with haste and prowess. That's a one-two. Um, but that sounds weak. I it's see, only a one-two. See, but... What you might not understand in a big scary creatures in PDH land mm-hmm. is uh, <laughs> that a one two <laughs> really is a house once you pair it with some lightning bolts and some chain lightning, some even some ponderous or preordained, some fire blasts, and you know it being a human is not nothing when you consider that up one mind is in the format. So one yeah. mind draw two. Mm-hmm. Just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of synergies, a lot of stuff going on there. I think it turned burn into a three, a turn three deck. I mean, it doesn't take much now to get twenty and plus burn damage has by a been turn three. Showing up in some challenges yeah. anyway. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's kind of been some discussion on a few different discords that I'm in, as well as on Twitter, of what decks with spear is really going to push to the next level. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are saying like, um, is it blitz? Um, maybe even like a blue red Delver sort of deal. Right. I think I think that that could be true, but I think ultimately the deck that's just going to get the big push is Mono Red Burn. Yeah, like, hands hands down. Yeah. I think Boros uh, yeah, like, Boros Burn, Rakdos Burn, those sort of things will do well. They'll get a little bit of a pump, but yeah, Burn hands down is definitely the the benefactor of this like, downshift. You just have all the yeah. best cards that you would want in that deck in Popper. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, well, you know, the uh, big thing for me, right, is one-mana creatures with haste benefit from one thing especially, and that's having an untapped land to cast them with. Right. So, you know, not having any Ash Barons or any tapped lands in your deck pretty much guarantees that turn one, if you have a Swift Spear in your hand, your opponent's going to be taking one damage. Yeah, yeah, you're cracking for sure. So that's sort of where I could see it fitting in. People are talking about Mono Red Kiln Fiend. Obviously, it'll be in play there. But you know, it's I just probably I, not even going to be the third best threat in that deck. I don't think so either. I can't. I can't we'll see it in that probably deck. Probably forget that we don't have light up the stage in Pulper. 
I feel like they forget that right. sometimes. Reckless Impulse is fine, but like it's not light up the stage. It's a whole extra mana. We don't need right. to go down there. Exactly. We don't have to. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a big fan of Reckless Impulse myself. It's a good card. I do like the card. And I guess we have Experimental Frenzy, which is almost the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts on Swiss Beer. I don't know if you guys had anything additional to talk about with it. I, no, I don't think so. Pretty much right yep. on the head with mine. Like, All right, well. It's just really, really good. And I guess we can kind of get into what everybody's number two is. Uh, Brad, again, if you want to go ahead and lead us off with your number two. Sure. Like we were talking about before the show, it feels like with Double Masters, the sequel, it feels like Watsy just sort of printed us a deck at Common. And it feels like that deck was, is it Blitz or is it Prowess? That said, my favorite, my number two option from this set is actually Bloodwater Entity. I love it. This was actually a... It's been uncommon up until now. This was going to be one of my commanders to build around in Popper Commander. Just because it's so cool. It's one, a blue and a red for a 2-2 elemental with flying. It also has prowess. And when it enters the battlefield, you may put target instant or sorcery card on top of your library. Now, sure, it's no Archaeomancer, you know, Ardent Elementalist, that sort of thing. But a 2-2 flying with prowess is pretty relevant it can get pretty powerful especially in, in those colors you know what i'm saying so i don't know I'm, I'm a fan of prowess the more prowess creatures the better in any format as far as i'm concerned what do you guys think one of the other cards that i i've wanted to play with bloodwater entity and other formats before was uh thunderous Wrath. Sure. like miracle cards with that right. are phenomenal because you can just put them on top of the deck just top deck a five shot out of nowhere but even loading something back onto the top of the deck that you otherwise wouldn't get access to again whether it's an extra burn spell a bigger card draw effect for card advantage late in the game whatever the case may be it just it seems like a really interesting effect for that deck to have access to and flying is a big deal you know red whenever i uh, saw that this card was going to be printed at common I immediately thought of you because I thought of one deck that we have talked about a bunch. Mm-hmm. That's a serpentine curve. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, um, you know, getting to bend a bunch of cards with like pieces of the puzzle or um, whatever when you're playing the serpentine curve deck, you know, a lot of times, right? Like if you're going to bend cards, you're going to want to put the serpentine curve into your hand with one of those. Right. So, Bloodwater Entity is sort of like a a way to bridge the gap and if there's a card that you put into the graveyard that maybe you would want later at least you know that you have a blood water entity coming that you can um, stack your deck back with that being said i'm not sure that you would want to play that over um like an archaeomancer or anything like that, that yeah for sure um but the fact that it has prowess and has flying definitely makes me more likely to want to try this over one of those two cards yeah it should see a lot of testing. I don't know how well it'll do in the leagues or anything. I guess we'll have to see how the the new 2022 Is It Prowess decks play out. But this might be a part of them. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So I guess moving on, Adam, what was your number two? So we talked about this in the Heezy Discord right after I found out it got downshifted. And that is Experiment 1. I can't not have it online because... For those of you who don't know, the first Pro Tour I ever watched was Pro Tour Honolulu. Craig Jones, Olivier Ruel was like the first top eight match I watched. 
and it was Zoo versus Black White. And while this card wasn't a part of it, thanks to that being my exposure to like high level competitive magic, the fact that Zoo is like a deck is something that I just adore and I love playing it, whether it's good or not. Mm-hmm. Sure. And one of the biggest builds I've been kind of hung up on for the last little while is a, a Bushwhacker Zoo in Pioneer. And now most of that deck is now legal in Pauper. <laughs> yeah. um, just one second for those that don't know. Experiment 1 is a, another one-mana creature. It costs just green for a 1-1 hu- one, one human ooze with Evolve, which is whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control. That creature has power or toughness greater than this creature. Put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on this creature. Then you can remove two plus one plus one counters from experiment one and regenerate it. So needless to say, right, like experiment one has been pretty powerful in other formats um, for effectively being a one mana two, two or a one mana three, three, whenever it matters. Right. That's really hard to kill. Kind of my hesitancy with it, I guess, in Pauper is the first step that I thought of it going in. I couldn't really ever see it really getting past being a two, two going to a three, three. Was that stompy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of that 3-3 three, three range is sort of where I feel like it really gets that power from, just because that's when you can start removing plus one, plus one counters. That being said, immediately ups the worth of hunger of the Howl Pack in that deck. Yeah. is a reason to be playing this. Right. So what's yours? It's your turn. Yeah. Well, my number two is um, plain, boring. It's Is It Charm. Also blue and a red, two mana instant. You choose one. Counter target non-creature spell, unless it's controller pays two. Deal two damage to any target creature. Draw two cards, then discard two cards. I have a love-hate relationship with Is It Charm. <laughs> on one hand, I don't think the mana is good enough in Pauper to justify this card. Okay. Um, particularly in the decks that I think will want to play it, right? Blue-red fairies, blue-red serpentine curve, the blue-red prowess deck that's going to kind of come out. All of those decks like as few tap lands as possible, so you know in Fairies, you'll play like the four Snowlands. In Serpentine Curve, you might play like the four Campuses or the four Snowlands, depending. Maybe some Bounce Lands. Yeah. But normally, you like those lands coming untapped, and then you supplement that with Ash Barons, which means that your access to your off-colored mana is very particular. And so I don't know what the likelihood is that those decks are oftentimes going to be holding up a blue and a red at instant speed, particularly those, especially because a lot of times... That battles a lot with actual factual counterspell, where you want to hold up double blue. That being said, this card's obviously very modal, very powerful. Those decks normally have those five to eight flex spots where you you know you could play a ham sandwich and the deck would still be good. Right. Um, that, yeah, that's that's where so, this will see play. I think. Exactly, but again, I like the fact that it has a chance to fuel those more fringe archetypes. You know, a deck that I have a love affair with, the Red Serpentine Curve. Even a Grixis Control, which uh, I've been seeing just a little bit on Twitter sphere, that is sort of where I think is it Charm is ultimately going to fall, and then who knows, maybe it'll end up in that it's it is it Blitz or is it Prowess mess that uh, will certainly be coming out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yep. At this point, we could even have like a like a Jeskai Prowess, you know, Seeker of the Way, Monastery Swift Spear. Is it is it Charms? Whatever, just a whole pile of. Really good cards that probably don't function as a whole deck. Yeah, I would love a, I would love to see a red white prowess deck that splashes blue for a zip charm. That's what I'm saying, 100. <laughs> percent 
So first of all, do we just call Is It Charm the bet one of the top five ham sandwiches to put in your deck? It's a good one. It's definitely a upper end deli Is ham. It feels like a good advertisement. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's definitely top 10, and nobody's going to play four of braids, even though maybe they should. Right. Especially right now. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we can now move on to Brad's number three. My number three. I just had it up here. This is one. I put this on the list because it is a very intriguing, but I've never played with it. I've never put it in a deck. I've never seen decks played with it, probably because the first printing of it was like three years ago, <laughs> but the first printing of it was a rare. So now we don't have access. We didn't have access to it until now. And that is dark dweller Oracle. It's generic and a red for a two, two goblin shaman. And it's text box says for a generic and sacrifice a creature, you can exile the top card of your library and you may play that card this turn. This is a very intriguing ability. I'm not sure where it falls. You know, it, it wants you to play a lot of spells, but it also wants you to sacrifice creatures. You know, does this go into a huge goblin token deck where you're trying to just rip through your deck and, and find more burn spells or find more goblin spells or goblin creatures or get to that bushwhacker or what have you? Or is this an aristocrats edition where you want to see the top card? You, you want to let it stay in exile if it's your seventh land? You know, and you're really needing a galvanic blast or what have you. What do you guys think about it? So, Aristocrats is exactly where my head went when I saw it. That's the first place I wanted to put it. Because one of the worst things you can have happen playing an Aristocrats deck is just drawing the wrong half of the yeah, deck. Yeah, dead hands in that, in that deck are terrible. It's a way to smooth that out. And it's a unique effect among Aristocrats cards in Popper. Yep. So, I dig it. Yeah, I... Uh... Similarly, I immediately thought of Aristocrats. I don't think that I'm really prepared to be able to judge a card like this. You know, that's for people far smarter than I am <laughs> um, to tell me how many to play if I should play it. I, and then just let me do it. I'm just um, thinking like if, if Aristocrats is where this lands, I can't imagine there's any more than two of them in your deck, right? That's exactly uh, what You want to see yeah. it, but you don't want to see a lot of them because they're just redundant on the field, you know? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, dead in your know, hand or I whatever. The question is, right, is like, are you playing just red-black aristocrats? Are you trying to go Mardu? What aristocrat shell are you wanting to fit this into? Because I think that that's ultimately what could end up holding this card back, right? Is just not figuring out the right pieces to put around it. Sure. Because, you know, it was obviously powerful enough that at one time they thought it was a rare. Right. And now they think it's a common. So <laughs> obviously, obviously there's some power differential there but it probably couldn't see play in Popper in a good deck so long as the shell around it is found. Do you think it's a cube card? Ooh, absolutely. You think so? So, so the reason I think this is a cube card, right, is because one of the powerful ways, especially in Popper Cube, to make sure that you win a lot is to just make sure that your draws are as smooth as Smoothed possible. Smoothed out, right? yeah. So that's why, like, Oftentimes, I highly value having just the best mana ever in Popper Cube. Sure, makes sense. Uh, I will take I will take pretty much every land over pretty much any card, save for like five or six cards. Right, that's fair. And so this card again makes it to where your draws are a little bit more smooth. But then this also fits, you know, red white tokens, mono red aggro, any aristocrats build. Um, you know that red green aggro. This is sort of like 
a simulated card advantage sort of deal. Right, that's what I was going to say. When it's able to stall, you need to find your big splashy thing that's going to push you over the edge because normally you play one or two of those. So really, maybe even even in 60-card constructed, maybe it's just a card that can fit in five different archetypes but is not like an all-star in any of them. Right. That's a... It's like a little dot yeah. of blue. It just fits... <laughs> It just fits That's in. That's right. Holds Plus, you can put the rare game. version in your cube and throw people off. <laughs> what? Right. I've I've included one rare of every color that was later a common. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yes. Uh, Adam, I guess you can uh, move on to whatever your number three is. Well, my number three was your number two. It's is it true? Oh, I'm so, sorry to hear that. We've already talked about <laughs> yeah. that. Well, then we'll move on to my number three, which I'm sure is also on your list. Might of Old Crosa. Yes, that is my number four. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I'm going to let you say my number four. <laughs> for those that don't know, Might of Old Crosa is a one mana that's actually a theme of tonight, it appears. So far, so good. Um, yeah, it just costs a single green pip for an instant. The text reads, target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If you cast a spell during your main phase, that creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn. Brad, you knew that this card had to be on my list for one deck and one deck only. And that is blue green infect. Yep. With land grant. Yep. One hundred percent. I had no doubts about it. There are no words in that sentence. <laughs> so it just kept getting better and better <laughs> with every word. Yeah. Some of us just have that effect on people. Right. <laughs> Serenade me more. Right. So might of old Crosa seen play in modern what feels like a lifetime ago. I think it's like the quintessential like peasant cube card. Right. It's just very powerful, you know, like one mana plus four plus four exceptionally strong you know there's a reason that groundswell sees play Mm -hmm. but also having the flexibility of casting at instant speed as a trick just kind of pushes it over the edge as far as its strength and those sorts of decks yeah it's like a modal giant growth yeah i expect this to immediately slot in to um you know infect of all varieties whether that's green black blue green mono green Yep. And I'm hoping that there's some sort of like hyper aggro mono green deck that this also slots into. It's maybe a little bit more playable, right? But it couldn't look like Stompy does now because Stompy sort of already plays too many pump spells. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it has much of a home in Stompy, honestly. Fortunately, not. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, my story, and I'm sticking to it. There you go. Good story. Seems seems about right. Well, I guess we can uh, move on to Brad's number four then. All right, you know it had to happen, even if it was bad. We got a downshift in Orzov, but this one's actually pretty good. <laughs> we got an Orzov downshift from Gate Crash. It is Cartel Aristocrat for an Orzov, a white and a black. We get a 2-2 human advisor that says, sacrifice another creature. Cartel Aristocrat gains protection from the color of your choice until the end of turn. It's got like a built-in Apostle's Blessing, which is also a great card. This kind of fits in, obviously fits into Orzov Aristocrats. Like you mentioned, Mardu Aristocrats could be a thing now, maybe, possibly. And I like that it's a free sacrifice outlet. It's like the wild mongrel situation. Like you can just sacrifice however many creatures you want to this and give it protection from five colors a turn if you wanted to, as long as you're getting benefit out of whatever you sacrificed. You know, you don't have to have a target. You know, you don't have to be targeted with something or that creature doesn't have to be targeted with something for you to sacrifice, you know, get protection from red or whatever. Sweet art, awesome art, and it's Orzov, and that's my story. What do you think? I mean, it was one half of the original name for the... It was one half of the reason we call that right. aristocrats. 
It's the pedigree. It's just the original. It's the reason. The OG. So why wouldn't we be excited to get to play it in this format? I'm personally pretty excited to see what people come up with. Sort of the same deal, you know, the aristocrat stats. I'm going to let somebody else break it, and then I'll play it. Yeah, and if you can figure out a way to build it, this might slot into, like, white black pestilence, because theoretically you could give it protection from black every turn. Look at that. I was also wondering, you know. I just got there. We saw that, right, we saw um, a long time ago those, like, I guess you would call it, like, Mardu Monarch sort of decks, where, you know, they were playing, like, still playing, like, Battle Screech and Core Skyfisher and Squadron Hawk. Right. But also playing Reaping the Graves, Mm -hmm. Okibo Grave Shinobi, and um, Thorn of the Black Rose. I might have said that twice. So maybe this kind of fits into a deck like that that can put tons of bodies and a lot of times just needs a way to get itself across the finish line. Yeah, I don't um, see why being not. Being able to effectively make yourself unblockable and unremovable and just keep going. You know, that also works really well with, you know, maybe you up the number of Okiba Grave Shinobis because a lot of times Okiba Gang Shinobis. Gang, yeah. Exactly what it's called. Yeah. Um, you know, because I know a lot of times they'd put like one in the main, one in the sideboard. It's kind of weird. It was like, why aren't you playing Boros? Well, maybe this is sort of the reason, right? Yeah. Is, um, you know, you have a way to pretty much always guarantee that that's online, even if you're playing against fairies, for example, which is going to have flying blockers. Right. Now it doesn't matter. Well said. Adam, I was going to say we can move on to your number four, but uh, that was Might of Old Crosa, so you do want to steal my number four. <laughs> and... No, I just gave you plus four, plus four. Let's go. <laughs> right. I'll go ahead and let people know then my uh number four was card that i don't think i've ever cast but i've had it cast against me a lot uh and that's militia bugler so it's two generic and a white uh, three total mana for a human soldier with vigilance it's a two three but the big sort of deal with it is whenever etbs look at the top four cards of your library you may reveal a creature card with power two or less from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I struggle with this card. It's my number five. It's good. Yes. It, it, it lets yes. you dig. You know, white doesn't typically <laughs> dig in most formats, let alone pauper. But I feel like, I mean, yeah, sure, four is a lot of cards to dig down. But I feel like if you're going to reliably hit a creature that meets these requirements, you're going to have to have a lot of creatures in your deck. Yeah, right. so obviously... A lot of weenies, specifically. Cast. Like, you can't... This doesn't find Skyfisher. You know, it doesn't... All that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, so where I was sort of feeling... I was actually thinking two two or three different ideas with this card, right? Okay. Is one, obviously, where it's been cast against me a lot is in Modern. Um, sort of a human staple. Sure. Very efficient card there. You know, so sort of my thoughts here, right, were... This fits into, again, a like you mentioned, a mono-white Leanies deck, right? Where you're going to play this, you're going to reveal either, you know, a Soul Sister or even, you know, something like revealing a Squadron Hawk off of this. Playing your Squadron Hawk, going, getting three more out yeah. of your deck. Insanely yep. good value. Playing this in any core Skyfisher deck where you can play this, reveal core Skyfisher, buy it back with Skyfisher. Play it again the next turn. Do it all over again. Skyfisher has power three, unfortunately. Oh, does it? Yeah. Or is it a, it's a? I thought it was a power two. It's a two three, right? It's, it's a, a two, two three. three. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a three two for some reason. Yes. Hmm. I was all mixed no, up. It's so good, and it's so good with Skyfisher. Yeah, and then you know another thing is is one of the things that I always felt like 
there's another deck that we all love that has one particular problem. That's a heroic has a problem with running out of creatures a lot. Yes, it does. Um, so having a creature that finds you your creatures that you actually care about, something I'm interested in with that deck. Sure. But yeah, outside of that, right, like Militia Bugler could spot into red-white because, you know, again, it gets the um, two-mana card with prowess. Brad, I know that you know what it's called. Seeker of the Way. Seeker of the Way. Yeah. Get your core Skyfisher. Get your Squadron Hawk. Get you pretty much any other card you would want to play in that deck. Yeah, yeah, it is better than I. I also, it, finally gives you. It's an definitely better than I made it out to be. Decks. I think I just couldn't find a uh, mentally. I couldn't find a home for it right away. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the white decks I play. Sure, I play Boros or whatever, but like heroic and the you know white weenie decks and stuff. They really can struggle to hit three mana reliably. Mm-hmm. So, but if you can, this is a nice way to semi. You know, refill your hand a little bit, at least get something to cast on that turn to double spell or next turn or what have you. But, you know, ultimately what I'm really hoping is that there's like a, like a white black sort of like a do everything deck. This finds Cartel Aristocrat. Just saying. I was See, about look, to say that. The deck brews itself. <laughs> it's just I telling you, they printed us decks that. in this set. That's all they did. Yeah. It, they so, they <laughs> as soon as he gets out, we just pull him right back in. Uh huh. Yeah. Every damn time. You know, Adam, because I'm fearful of one of us taking what your number five is, do you want to lead with your number five this time around? You just did. <laughs> <laughs> My number five was Militia Bugler. So. I think I remember you saying that now. Now I feel bad. It's like I was teasing you. He can have my number five. That's <laughs> nah, okay. Great minds think. There you go. I actually think we have the same number five. So I'll just let you uh, end us on a high note by telling us what it is. Yeah, there you go. Have at it, buddy. Both of our number fives is a card called 10th District Legionnaire. Um, it costs a red and a white, so two mana for a human soldier with haste. Whenever you cast a spell that targets 10th District Legionnaire, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, then scry one. Militia Bugler finds this too. Yes, it does. Yeah. Ooh, doggy. You know, honestly, like a 10th District Legionnaire deck, with a monastery Swiss spear and everything else that um, as heroic, I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. I th- I, I firmly believe that Boros prowess her- slash heroic can be a strong like mid range deck mm-hmm. with everything we've already mentioned: the Skyfishers and the Buglers and the Tenth District Legionnaire and Swiss spear and Sinker of the Way and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about Tenth District Legionnaire. No, it's fantastic. Everybody kind of knows what makes it powerful. It just kind of gets right to the point. And the, yeah. the scry one on it is just just uh, the chef's kiss, a little cherry on top. Especially right. in those colors. Yep. And not for nothing, but we've got cards like Ancestral Anger in the format now, too. Yeah. To go with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, that co- yeah. Scry, then draw. You get to you get to turn Ancestral Anger into... Op, you know, and to, right, and to add to the this mid-range deck, we've had Burning Prophet for... A few years now, which scries every time you cast a non-creature spell, and gets plus one I plus one zero. Anyone else knew that card? Was that, card that card is one of my favorites. It's so good. One of my favorites. <laughs> also, it's a wizard. <laughs> yeah. So, Adam tagged me in a tweet today that was like, "Hey, we need to figure out what decks we're uh, playing in July to talk about on the show." And I think I just discovered what it is. Yeah. We're gonna make red white some something work 
beautiful. My name isn't Brad. There you go. Yeah. And it better be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the hero you deserve. There you go. There you go. that's going to end up doing it for this episode of Common Knowledge. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find me on Twitter at JustGuyDad. Adam, where can they find you? On Twitter, I'm at HomewardPathMTG. And if you want to get to know the guy behind the mic a little bit better on TikTok, I'm HomewardPathGaming. Brad, where can they find you? On Twitter at Popper underscore B. You can find me right there. I'm pretty much on Twitter anytime I'm awake. (laughs) You can find Adam and I both either in the comments down below or at commonknowledgemtg at gmail.com. Again, feel free to reach out if you have questions on the popper format, MTGO, or anything else. Um, Brad, if they have any questions on PDH in particular, where can they direct their attention? Uh, Also to my Twitter, but there's a Gmail. We have thepdhpod at gmail.com and a brand new podcast of the same name, The PDH Pod. Check it out. Yeah, absolutely. You should totally check it out. I have a listen to the first episode Mm -hmm. i had a lot of fun with it um and i know it's only going to continue to get better yep so far they've been marathons i think the first episode was two hours or hour and a half the second episode was like two and a half hours like yeah so the week it came out i was actually driving from my house to alabama Mm -hmm. and then back to my house all on the same day (laughs) so yeah so it was perfect nice uh, for me to get to hear uh one of my good friends and some of the other acquaintances or friends that I've made from the Popper community Woo-hoo. talk about Popper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm always talking Popper. Right. Want to give a quick thanks to our sponsors, GameGrid and PureMPGO.com, as well as the Constructive Criticism Network for letting us be a part of it. And last, but certainly not least, take very good care of each other and never stop brewing. Yeah.